0: bye
1: Like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk. Welcome to the latest episode of the Just Not Sports podcast. This is the show where a couple guys who work in sports talk to the people who play and cover sports about anything they like, just not sports. On today's show, we will talk to WGN sportscaster and Chicago favorite Pat Tomasulo about his longtime career in stand up comedy and his attempt to crash the late-night comedy show scene. We also will break down a public service announcement, which finally proved once and for all that these kids today really are worthless, like I've been saying all along. And, of course, we will break down all these sports world happenings that have nothing to do with sports. I'm your co-host, Brad Burke. I am a sports marketer in Chicago Joining me, also in the Windy City, he is a respected and feared public relations executive who has logged time with the University of Colorado, the Green Bay Packers, and many global sports brands. It's Adam Allard. Adam, please settle a debate my wife and I were having tonight. Are insects animals? Yes. That's what I thought, too. And my wife said, no.
2: What are they, plants? Right. Is man an animal? Sure. Then insects certainly are. Are they mammals? Of course not. But yes, they fall under the description of animals.
1: That's what I said. There was like an animal kingdom. And then within that, the buckets are like mammals, insects, reptiles, invertebrates, Fish, I don't know. I gotta, I gotta look that up. But uh, she was just like, no, animals are warm, like, like animals, like warm-blooded animals, and insects do not qualify.
2: (laughs) No, that is not the definition. She has a master's degree. I'm not
1: trying to make my wife sound silly. I, I, I honestly didn't know. I was like, oh, I should, I should check this out.
2: The, the problem is, even if you win, you lose.
1: (laughs) I always lose. Also joining us in our Brooklyn, New York bureau, it is seven-time Emmy-winning sports producer Gareth Hughes. Gareth, set settle this debate. Did you did you have a, a yay or nay here?
0: Well, I want to start another. I mean, I, they're clearly animals. Um, what that means for your marriage and home life is another matter altogether.
1: Um, She's not listening to this show. She we're 104 episodes in. She has a Cal Ripken like <laughs> streak of, of ignoring this show.
0: Awesome. (laughs) Awesome. That is like, I expect to see her running around the edges or like running around the stadium, high fiving everybody about that one. I love it. Um, (laughs) okay. Here's what I want to ask guys. Is Chicago called the windy city because it's actually windy or is it because of the long winded
2: politicians? politicians that that's what I, that's always what i've heard
1: i tweeted about this th- recently yes, because i was I like responding almost blown, blown tweet, out of a Brad. cab <laughs> yeah i mean i work right off the lake in the hancock building and there are times when they set up ropes in the winter because you're just walking down the street and you need to grab something to keep walking seriously it's that bad Oh yeah. I yeah, I mean it's it's ridiculous. If you're if you're on a an east-west street and there's nothing blocking the lake, you're essentially in a wind tunnel.
2: I always thought it was because of the politics, like the the it makes sense, the weather, but I think that would be true of any city here in the north that's near water. I I think I feel like the wind in Wisconsin was worse than it is in Chicago, but maybe it's just because it's such a big city, but I always thought it's because the politicians are shady and the way the wind blows that day depends on who's uh, who's in charge.
1: I could be totally wrong. It, very much like my insects debate, I have no idea what I'm talking about at all times. Okay, time to move on. Right now we're going to take the open of the show and make it wide open. Anything around the world of sports that's nothing to do with sports is, uh, is fair game. Guys, I'm gonna start because I alluded to it off the top. It's a really important moment in our society. There's an epidemic happening coast to coast. Um, and the only person from the world of sports taken, I think, seriously enough for both his uh, you know, demeanor on the field, his leadership, as well as his his intellect and his devotion to cause campaigns is uh Rob Gronkowski. He was tapped by the good people at Tide for a PSA urging American youths not to eat Tide pods. <laughs> is that really I'm, something that's happening? It's but it, okay, it's really happening and that PSA it legitimately
2: is happening.
1: It's it's utterly it, and completely ridiculous that this whole thing exists.
2: But it's tongue in cheek, right?
1: Oh no. The eating of the Tide Pods, really? I saw it on this uh I saw it on this Instagram thing, um, like dummies doing things or drunk people doing things. And it was just a kid kind of had it in his mouth and he bit into it and it like leaked into his mouth. So I, I don't I'm not quite sure that kids are actually eating like, Tide Pods it to get as much as they are. I, I think they're just I think they're just playing around, like, on on camera, like, oh, can you bite into it and let it, like, kind of, like, spit it out, you know? Like, let it ooze through your teeth or whatever. Hmm. I mean, th- th- honestly, when I read about this, what little confidence I had remaining in this generation, <laughs> gone. <laughs> like, totally <laughs> gone, So <laughs> I-, I literally had to ask myself, who would ever do that? I mean and my generation was pretty stupid. I mean, we were, we lowered the bar for stupidity before millennials came and like dethroned us, like Tom Brady knocking off Drew Bledsoe and going on to their own version of greatness. <laughs> but now this is a whole <laughs> new level of stupidity. I mean, Adam, did you ever see this coming?
2: No, there's it's weird you say that. There's a tide pod sitting on my floor right now and even my my cat has approached it several times and walked away. So, uh, why a human being would think this is uh, why a human being would put this in their mouth? No, I don't, no. That's a new one.
1: It's it's kind of a missed opportunity. I mean, that it, it's first of all the thing I saw online seemed like it was shot on a phone with Gronk just in a uh, in a laundry room.
3: No, 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 no. What the heck is going on, people? Use Tide Pods for washing, not eating.
1: Come on, Tide. If you're gonna bring in Gronk. You know, get like a get like McG, go film something crazy. What was Logan Paul not available? Yeah, right. I mean, so I'm I'm looking at a time real quick. I'm looking at a Time magazine article that talks. It's called the Tide Pod Challenge. Thirty nine reports of teenagers intentionally misusing laundry pods came in during the first 15 days of 2018 alone. Uh, for for context, there were 39 cases of intentional misuse of these pods among teenagers in all of 2016. So we're really reaching kind of like uh, ALS ice bucket challenge level enthusiasm for eating detergent.
2: Is this like huffing paint? Can you get high off of it? What's the physiological reward for this?
0: Uh, Adam, you've got one on your floor, bro. Yeah, let yeah. us know.
2: No. No, I did the pocky chip challenge in 2017. That's as far as I go.
1: Like, I don't think there's a hive. Then again, people, someone somewhere was like, "Hey, look at these bath salts. Let's smoke them." So who knows, right? I mean,
2: no, that's but that's not actually bath salts. That's a code name for a drug. Just to clarify. Well, you know what, Adam, you seem to be the
1: you you seem to be the Walter White of uh, bath and tide related (laughs) stuff in our life. Uh, given your proximity and knowledge of this space. So speaking of speaking of, of, of whatever's going on in your life, Adam, uh, wide open, what's on your mind?
2: Last year, we were treated to the cinematic and creative genius that was Kobe Bryant's Muse Cage. And this year, as a, a semi-extension of that show, Kobe Bryant is teaming up with ESPN for a new sports show called Details, which will break down how the best players become better through watching game film. So Kobe Bryant, uh, and Brad, you may remember this when we broke down Muse Cage, there was a segment of that show, um, when not in a um, Sesame Street-like acid trip, there was a segment of the show uh, that broke down on the court uh like how players work on the court so how uh russell westbrook would come off a a pick and roll for example um or how james harden uses screens to get open so apparently we are in line for 15 episodes of that um brad and gareth who is the market for this
1: first of all i'm only watching if little mamba from uh from Muse Cage is is a co-host, all right. I mean, that's a given. Uh, what? No, no love for that, Adam? No, no. No, love, I'm laughing.
2: Love? Oh, yeah. There was a laugh. It was like a, a deep <laughs> laugh. I just have a deep voice.
1: I, I I think the market is for people who, you know, for for like the 4,700 people on Earth who who thought that like uh, the Grantland Basketball Hour didn't go deep enough. Into, into into analysis like like that was such a niche show on espn i'm not sure man i, I the only thing i can i can suspect is that they're gonna have kobe's access will give them such uh such deep um sort of uh you know such deep uh, level of candidness from like really top guys you know he's not gonna sit down with uh you know with uh, you know Randy McRanderson in Orlando i mean i'm sure he's going to do this with like harden and and those dudes that sure. said I, I i i don't know i just don't think i mean clearly the nba is filled with big stars so maybe there's a market for it it kind of reminds me of john gruden's um uh camp except for i think that whole spiel was about gruden sort of embarrassing those dudes from time to time i'm not sure uh, there, there's a curiosity with it. I don't know. I, I guess. I mean, the this, the the hardcore hoop said obviously, right? I mean, I I don't know what else yeah.
2: to say. It reminds me more of, and I don't know what the visual presentation style will be like, but in ESPN Sunday night Sunday morning lineup, and maybe this show is still on. But Ron Jaworski used to host a show that was deep into the X's and O's of football, which I can appreciate at some level. And I think it's great for those watching the game. Um, it just seems like everyone loves Moneyball the movie, but does anyone really want to see the analysts crunch the numbers? Um, that's kind of what this feels like to me. And and let me say that I, I really appreciate Kobe um, being involved in this area of business and exploring different kinds of content. I'm just curious um, how this was, was concepted for a a large scale audience. Gareth the producer, any thoughts?
0: What is anybody watching and what a lot of stuff is getting made, but I don't know anything that's getting what's getting watched is my question. And I think that's all like, especially in sports. Like you throw out the number forty seven hundred. I produced a show a few years ago. It was well received. I got some really nice compliments on it. We got some really nice press. It was on CBS Sports Network. I just remember we were rolling this immense boulder up the hill every Monday. And it's, you you know, because you have some pride, you put a lot of effort into it. I turned to one of our ADs one day and I was like, how many people do you think are watching this show? 5,000? 10,000? I have to admit, I have to assume they're going to make the show just so they can cannibalize it for viral clips. And huh. put that out there. And uh you know, it like and the, the revenue and or the prestige will come from the conversation can generate through Twitter. And then it's like, well, if we're gonna be here getting a twenty minute interview anyway, you might as well package it as a show and in the words of my old boss, make video grout so the commercials don't bump into each other on your cable channel.
1: To wrap up uh wide open here, I mean the the, the Saints were involved in yet another uh, all-time NFL playoff moment with their loss at the at the buzzer, if you will, <laughs> against uh, the Vikings, which should not distract us from the beauty of the Sean Payton rap. Can I jump in on this one? Because I think this
0: is the first song I have ever brought to the Just on Sports podcast to be broken down <laughs> in 105 episodes. I think so.
1: It might be the first one you've listened to. <laughs> Fair
0: <laughs> reputation, well earned. Um, yeah, so it's actually it, uh, so this song, and it's a shame. I mean, the Vikings Saints game was incredible this past weekend, and you know it was everything that's great about sports. And we can we can we can get tired of sports, and I can get cynical as much as anybody. But boy, that was that ending was some crazy thing, and it was incredible to watch. Similar to the Alabama game on Monday night, the throw that ended that was unbelievable. There's twice in a week that I was just blown away by sports and how great they are, reminded of how great they are. But um, to me, it was a real shame to see the Saints lose because I was down to hit the Sean Payton. So to correct you a little bit, Brad, the song was not called Do the Sean Payton. It was Hit the Sean Payton. Put out by a New Orleans trumpet player named Shamar Allen. He threw that thing together so fast, because that was inspired by a dance Sean Payton did where he's moving his hands back and forth in the locker room after beating the Panthers in the wildcard round for the third time. And that song dropped like the Tuesday or Wednesday before the divisional round playoffs. Like Shamar Allen saw must have seen that clip. And got to writing like immediately
1: afterwards. I was impressed. I actually really liked the song. I liked how it blended sort of new, new Orleans jazz. And I think if you're gonna create like a team anthem, especially for a specific moment or a specific roster, like a like an annual song, something about it has to stand out. It can't just sound like Super Bowl Shuffle. And I love the fact that when I was listening to it. I just instantly said to myself, this could only be a New Orleans team. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I think it just keeps... It, the longer it goes, the more I got into it, which is, I'm just going to say, as as I would say, <laughs> probably the undisputed uh, athlete music uh, uh, advocate is the opposite of most normal reactions to their music.
0: I thought the second verse actually succeeded as Music. But listen to what he's doing there. He he's breaking down the dance, but using a metaphor of like Sean Payton moving his hands like you're riding a bike. So it's like it's taking it up a notch. He's not just breaking down the video. He's adding his metaphorical twist, and then he's inviting all the fans in. I don't care if you're 8 or 80, sane or crazy. You can do it how you want, roast beef or gravy. Now, apparently, from my experience in New Orleans, I think that is a reference to how people will order their po'boys and if you want mm. roast beef or gravy on there. So, like, in that little section of the second verse, I was like, oh, my God, this is like a real song where you're, like, making local references. You're getting as many fans as you can involved. You know, you're giving a little Humpty-style shout-out where it's like, you know, if Humpty's, if the Humpty dances when you do, like, your leg is broken, hitting the Sean Payton is like you're riding a bike.
1: Look, it's not 1988's Who Day rap by the 88 Bengals, the greatest NFL team ever assembled, but it's not bad. <laughs> Adam, I, I always... I, there, there are times that I have to remind myself that when we were in... Dallas uh for Packers uh Steelers Super Bowl where we first kind of worked together that black and yellow song was everywhere and so much so that it could have been a team song at that time and I wouldn't have known if you had just told me that was like Le'Veon Bell I would have said yeah
2: it's a great song that's a great song far better I just heard this song two minutes ago in true Gareth style I apologize Gareth I I saw that you texted about it. I chose to completely ignore it. Um, I heard the first minute of the song. It's okay. I don't I don't generally like trap music.
1: Adam, I don't think... I, I think given the Saints week, it, it, it would not be referred to as trap music. It would be referred to as prevent defense music. <laughs> <laughs>
0: what do you think of that play? Was it a mistake or a success that made it work?
1: And not... We're not doing this. All
2: right. <laughs> this we can't. Is,
1: that was the first that was the first question on First Take. <laughs> and, it's <not> <laughs> <us>. <laughs> and it's not us. <laughs> and it's not us. There was a time when every single weekend, when 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 Jay was his name? Jay Crawford hosted First Take. There was a time when every single weekend where it was Skip and Woody, the first question would be like, and the game of the week was insert game here. So Woody. Did X team win or did Y team lose? Like every single <laughs> you could like clockwork. And I always would say that's really not it's really not a question. Like <laughs> I get question. it. Like you can make that point for one team that like really blows it. But it's 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 just I just don't I don't even think anyone thinks like that.
2: The beauty of sports is it was probably both, and we can move on.
1: Exactly. All right. Speaking of moving on. Right now, we're going to go to an interview I got a chance to do a few weeks back with Pat Tomasulo. He is a longtime staple in Chicago on WGN, the Superstation. Um, You know, so people around the country uh, know him. He's a fan favorite for his sort of irreverent take on the sports world, and he is also on the side a living, breathing, performing stand-up comedian, a guy who gets on stage, who's got a solid... Hour, um, who's done specials, uh, who appears uh, live all throughout the city and the region. He's a uh, he's a fascinating story. So we break down his love of comedy, also. Uh, just this week, actually, January twentieth, he's got a new late night comedy show called "Man of the People." So we talk about that too. It's really WGN's first foray into this space, and one of the first kind of live studio shows they've done in uh, in the evenings uh, in years. So it's very exciting for him. Uh, we can't wait to see it. He gives us a little bit of a lowdown on 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 what's in store, and also uh, the role that you know digital is going to play in uh you know in fueling the hype and and content for uh his studio show. So uh stick around for that and then afterwards we will be back to distract you Do the show. Okay, here's where I want to start. I, you know, I want to talk about your sort of roots in comedy, um, you know, your history with stand-up. But the more I looked into the new show you've got coming out, the more I was intrigued by it, and not just because you announced it on a horse in the uh, in the WGN newsroom. Can you? T- Though that alone
3: is intriguing enough.
1: <laughs> well, let, let me start there. Uh, I guess. I guess. When when did you first come up with this idea? Because it's been a long time since GN has done this type of programming. They're they're you know they're taking a big swing on it. There's lots of support behind it. When did this yeah. idea first come to you?
3: Uh, for the horse or for the show? <laughs> <laughs> for the show. For the show. Cool. You're asking for the first. Uh, um, probably what year is it? 2017. Right. So. Maybe the summer of two thousand sixteen, I started to talk with uh our news director, Jen Lyons, uh, at the time. Um she was kind of the one who had always said it was, you know, one of her goals to kind of put put together a, a vehicle for me and uh i was a little a little hesitant at first just because i had some other stuff outside of here i was trying to work on and i was doing a lot of stand up and um you know it was the kind of thing where i i wanted to make sure that uh we had the infrastructure in place to pull it off right because this this is this this ain't a news show you know this is a completely different animal than news um, and I think my, my deal was up, the contract was up at the end of 2016. So as we started to get into contract negotiations and there were some other things we were weighing, um, the the uh, idea of, of doing something of my own kind of uh, picked up more steam. You know, and it was something that I had kind of... Uh, you know, begin thinking of what the logistics would have to be and and how we would have to put that together and what I might want the show to look like. Um, So it was was determined that the show would definitely happen probably about a year ago. Um, And so uh, I think, you know, real production on it in earnest and preparation for it in earnest uh, began probably about uh, eight weeks ago. Um, I had to uh, spend quite a bit of time trying to find an executive producer and a a photographer and try and fill out the staff and work with budgets and all that stuff. And and believe me, it is still an ongoing process.
1: (laughs) Well, the format of the show is interesting to me. Um, I guess, can you describe it a little bit more? Because from what I'm gathering, I mean, it's going to be a, I mean, I, I'm picturing sort of the, the the template of the late night show with you as sort of host and ringleader um, for a variety of, of talk, maybe, uh, you know, sketches, routines. But, but I, you know, yeah. it's hard to tell from the coverage that's come out exactly what's brewing in your head. So give our listeners, I guess, a taste. And, and we recognize full well, before they hit on on the camera, everything could be yeah. in flux. So we, we get it.
3: Yes. Yes, that is, yeah, that is the uh, the key. So I think we've we've kind of positioned it as a topical show. It's kind of a look at the at the week in review through an average guy's perspective. Um, so it, it'll it will be topical. Um, it will be um, it will have a point of view. It will. You know, attempt to be smart—that that's the key word. But we don't want to be—you know—we don't want to be political. We don't want to be uh, overly—you know—I'm not going to be Trump bashing. You know, every night there are enough shows mm-hmm. on on TV that are doing that. And there's there's definitely enough enough room for that on TV, right? There's there's enough of that going on. But it's kind of like I I think there are a lot of things that, you know, people agree on probably that they don't even. I always like to say I wanted this show will be the show that unites us over the things we all hate. You know, (laughs) like there are general annoyances that nobody can stand. You know, like like everybody looks at Beyonce's pregnancy pictures and and says, these are awful. What the hell is she thinking? You know, (laughs) the bachelorette blows. and, And, you know, I mean, I think there are certain universal things that people do agree on. And. You know, I mean, that's kind of been proven to me just on my work on The Morning Show. You know, I go on these rants a lot of times about stuff that have nothing to do with sports, and uh, and and they get a lot of attention. And my stand-up shows are attended by people from all walks of the political spectrum and the cultural spectrum and the, you know, demographic spectrum. So, you know, it's like it doesn't make any sense to me to, to leave out half that audience because you want to uh, – advocate a a certain political view and it'll also be a lot of stuff for me in the field I mean I think that's the stuff I have the most fun with it's just out there generally causing trouble you know so I I would say it's kind of like shades of like a a non-political last week tonight or a daily show but also I think uh, you know I think I've been influenced a lot by early letterman stuff you know just kind of just kind of like like when he retired, like people said like there's nobody to fear anymore in the late night, right? Like there's nobody that, you know, we don't I don't care about Hollywood. I don't care about getting celebrities on the show. I mean, if we do, it's fine. But uh, you know, we're kind of like we're not beholden to anybody. I think we could be a lot more biting and a lot more sarcastic and a lot more disagreeable than uh, than some others. Well, you mentioned in the field. I mean, I I think that's great because
1: when I when I was first looking at this um, and and looking into it, I remember my head went straight to the segments that you've made so popular, uh, you know, going out with an air horn and honking at cabs who who, who are known for honking at pedestrians and doing really kind of um, fun, experiential stuff like that. I I guess how much did your work doing that type of content give you the confidence to pull the trigger on on this long form show which you know will be heavily scrutinized and which you know will be a lot harder I mean any good comedian knows it's hard to get five good minutes um right and here you are with a half hour format but but you you've got a lot of experience doing this type of funny um outsider content already so I guess how did that fuel your confidence in taking this on
3: well, I think the, uh, you know, there are a lot of guys, listen, there, you know, there, there are, are, are a ton of of people who are better stand-up comedians than me, right? I mean, and, and I think I, I do a, a nice job as a stand-up, right? But I would not put myself in a world-class category with, with, with great stand-ups. I, I think the difference is it, it's a totally different skill set to be able to be funny on camera to be funny on TV. Yeah. You know, it's it's a totally, you know, it is not it is no there's some incredible comics who've gotten late night shows and who've had TV pilots or had TV deals and it just doesn't work. It has nothing to do with them not being funny. They're hilarious people. It's just it, it you know, it's like sometimes it's like a it's like a football player trying to play basketball. It's just there's a skill set. And so um, you know, the TV thing, I mean I've been doing this my whole my whole career, right? And I've I've been attempting to be funny on TV for the for the better part of my career. Right. So I think that's kind of like the, the big battle a lot of comics have when they get a show is they got to learn TV. You know, there's really no element of, of TV, whether it be production or, or, you know, on, on, you, know, you never stop learning. Right. But I think there's, there's, there's probably no element of TV production or, or performance that I'm at least not, a little familiar with or a little bit experienced in so I mean that gives me that gives me the confidence you know yeah. still, you know the hard part is we don't have a, a staff of, uh, of 20 writers and, and 10 producers and you know we're, we're incredibly short-staffed I mean that's just that's the battle on local TV but you know the freedom in that is that uh, you don't really have many you know encumbrances either
1: yeah, I was just going to say that. I mean, you mentioned early Letterman. I mean, that's probably the greatest example of of just taking what you have and yeah. doing whatever you can with it. Um, and I and I do 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 you find that your uh you're more able to uh I guess take chances, take risks because of the uh confinements or the lack of resources? I mean, I, I guess the ultimate example, right, is when Conan took over at TBS, and everyone is expecting yeah. him to reinvent late night, and it's like, oh, he didn't do that. Um, but right. I, w- we have seen a lot of innovative stuff coming either from the internet or from other sources. So, do do you find it liberating to be kind of just making it up as you go along and, and trying to you know pull together the resources you need, um, you know, without you know you know huge budgets or other in, you yeah know, things
3: that encumber you. I I don't know that liberating would be the word I would <laughs> choose. Uh, I I think I think maybe that's the silver lining on being. Uh, short staff and under budgeted or, or or that's the one check mark in the pro column. Uh, I think given my, uh, you know, given, given the choice, I would certainly rather not uh, be as low budget. You know, I would, I would rather, you know, have the big budget and then uh, fake that we're low budget. Um, No, I mean, it's, you know, listen, it's a beast, man. I mean, it's, it's just, uh, it's, it's a ton of work and it's a ton of work that a handful of of guys are trying to do. Um, but that said, you know, because we're on GN and because I think we have a little bit of a longer leash, you know, I think creatively and, uh, and you know, I think there's there's you know not that it's our intent, but there's there's room for failure, right? Yeah. At least you know, not as not as a whole, right? But with different segments and different um, different bits, there's there's room to to kind of experiment. I'm I'm confident that at least you know no no show on in any genre on any network on any you know gets it right every show. But but I like to think that you know the the format that we're building. Will at least play into enough of my strengths that will definitely have some hits every show,
1: yeah, now, your history with comedy, how did you i guess when did you first sort of get the the itch to do it um and really, I, I'm always intrigued by people's stories of how they actually took the leap to getting up on stage and uh, yeah you know transitioning from someone who appreciates comedy to someone who is 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 doing it in very tough rooms and and continuing to persist at it.
3: Yeah, I, uh, well, you know, when I got into, uh, TV, it was like, you know, I think this was the, the end game for me, you know, I came up when sports center was massive, right. Yeah. And Craig Kilborn went to the daily show and I actually interned there when he was there. And so for me, that was kind of like a, uh, you know, I was, I did sports at, at my, you know, in college on the campus TV station, that was the job they had. And, you know, I always loved sports. Um, but that was kind of like a, um, you know, kind of a, a a path for me to follow. Like the idea of doing stand-up right out of high school or college didn't even occur to me because it was one of the things that you know, you didn't know anybody who ever did it. You didn't, you know, there were no clubs where I lived. There were no. I had no idea how that worked. I didn't even know how TV worked at the time. But I was like, ah, you know, if that guy does, uh, you know, he does Sports Center and then goes to getting a late night show, maybe that's what I can do. And so uh, it was probably like three years into my into my, you know, TV career. I had a job in Buffalo, and I started doing a lot of funnier, quirkier stuff um, that wasn't so sports related, but more comedic. And then I got the job here 12 years ago, and that just accelerated that, you know, 10 times just because of the the type of show this is. I started doing stuff that didn't relate to sports at all, just putting together shorts and man-on-the-street stuff. And then, um, you know, I always wanted to do stand-up. And then as as the opportunities started popping up here, you know, as soon as I felt established enough on TV here that, that going on stage wouldn't, you know, torpedo my television career, I started uh, doing stand-up. That was probably like eight, eight years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it was – I think I started tagging along – you know, actually, I think I, my, the first shows I had done in it were in L.A. I did them out, outside of here just to see how they'd go. The, the first went predictably horrible. The second was fantastic.
1: How For and our then, listeners,
3: uh, how, how does it actually feel like to be up on stage
1: – Telling jokes, and people aren't laughing because I don't think people who haven't done it or haven't seen yeah. it uh, can even begin to relate
3: well, I think at this point in my stand up career i'm, I'm yeah, some days I don't give a shit I mean some you know you always want people to laugh, but you know it's almost like you learn to enjoy the bomb right like you right. don't enjoy it, but you, you you just go through it, you know you know what you're telling has worked a million times. Before and this is just one of those nights. It's not early on. It's just it's it's crushing. You know, like uh, <laughs> right. I mean, it was the first time I ever did it. I got bamboozled into doing an open mic in a, at a Mexican restaurant in L.A. Ugh. That then, it wasn't even a comedy open mic, and the guy was like, "Yeah, I'll take your five dollars and put me up." And people literally walked out during my set. Uh, and then the next night I did the same exact set at a comedy club, and it went great. Uh, so no, it blows. But it blows a lot less when when you've accumulated enough laughs. laughs.
1: And can I ask, what was that intern experience like on the Daily Show with Kilborn, and what was he like at the head of that show? Because that's it, it, it's 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 such a strange era. I, mean, I remember that show so yeah. vividly, but it's it, given where the show evolved or and what it evolved into, it's such a strange era to look back on now.
3: Yeah, uh, it was. What did I do there? I bought breakfast every morning, and I uh, traveled all throughout New York City via subway, picking up props and stuff for the show. Uh, If I was in the control room one day, I would handle the lunch order for everybody. I think the most creative involved thing I did was log tapes, which was fun because I would – you know, I would log for all the uh the raw materials from their field shoots, which back then were just usually with, with freaks. It wasn't anything mm-hmm. political. But they had some some funny correspondence at the time. I rarely saw him. I, I don't think his involvement in the show was much more than, than that of a host. I don't think he uh he wasn't in writers meetings. He wasn't he would show up around, you know, one or two o'clock and then um you know, tape the show and that was it. Nice enough guy, but he was you know, he was Uh, he was the host, right? You weren't supposed to bother him and you weren't supposed to talk to him and you weren't supposed to, uh, I don't think I'm talking out of turn, but he, uh, yeah, I mean, he was cool to me. He was fine whenever I saw him, but I never really had much dealing with him. Yeah. What's your writing
1: process like, like for your, just crafting standup, um, preparing, like, do you have a set process or is it just kind of when inspiration strikes, you just got to jot it down?
3: Yeah, when inspiration strikes, I jot it down, and then when I have time to, I think sit down and really write something. I, I write something. I don't like to bring new material to the stage unless I've written it out. Uh, I know some guys just like to go up with a concept and kind of work it out on stage. Um, I don't think I think just number one, I don't know that I'd feel comfortable doing that. And I think I'm just a writer by nature. You know, I've always I've always. Had scripts and I've always written, and I've always been really methodical about, about how I write stuff and especially jokes. So I, I might not have everything perfect the first time I, I take it to, to stage, but I at least want to have some jokes written exactly the way I want them to be and some, some segues and setups written exactly the way I want them to be. I, I don't like to go up there and just kind of freestyle.
1: Yeah, I mean, you've got a real energetic style from what I've seen, but it's it's controlled yeah. energy. Is that a hard balance to find in terms of? I mean, clearly being on TV, you're a polished, uh, yeah. polished uh, performer presenter. Um, but I guess, how did you hone your style and find that right energy level? Uh
3: just experience. It's reps, you know. Uh, on stage, you mean, or on TV? I mean, on stage and stand up. On stage, yeah. I mean, it's all reps. I mean, I think I think I was lucky that I kind of already had my uh, point of view and my voice, you know, from from honing it comedically on TV for so many years, but it was by far, you know, not polished or advanced the way it needed to be on stage. And so I think it's just reps. The more you do it, you know, tons of shows and, and you get more comfortable and you can be more yourself. And then the cool thing is, is that you start to see how that kind of translates to you doing things differently or better on camera. So it's almost like the two have really um, kind of complemented each other.
1: And when you talk about like sort of going kind of diving into the things that annoy us, that kind of stuff, Where where is yeah. the line for you between sort of playfully pointing out those quirks and just diving so far into cynicism that you can't pull back out uh, and then be that you know, especially given your job is also to be a presenter of news. Like, um, how do you find that? How do you find that balance?
3: Well, I, I, that's a good question. I don't know that I've necessarily found that balance (laughs) and I, and I think that's what's made me, uh, endearing to, to many. I think I'll think I'll need to, you know, in some instances temper that a little bit because you need to kind of attract new people to a show so I don't think it'll, you know, I think there will be, but it ebbs and flows. I mean, I'm not going to abandon the kind of stuff that I've always done and the type of, you know, you know, elbow deep thrashing of a certain thing that's bothering me. Or, but it, you know, the entire show can't be that. You know, it's like a stand up stand up set. If you go out and you just start, you know, hitting people with right hooks for for 45 minutes, they're going to be, you know, exhausted. You know, it's it's kind of like. Uh, you know, almost like composing a symphony, right? Like some some moments are a little bit lower energy, some are higher, some are. So I think it's just about finding that balance, you know, uh, in, in each show that we do.
1: When you're writing the for the for the new show that that's coming out, yeah. as you're constructing uh, material for it, how cognizant are you of the role the internet will play in um, promoting the show, and and how much do you think? hey, uh, and, and maybe it's not at all, but do, do you think, hey, this is something that I think will also play great online or maybe even might play a little oh, yeah, better online than to. in the
3: studio? Yeah, you have to. You have, you have to produce a show for both. You have to produce a show for TV and you have to produce a show uh, for 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 web. I mean, you have to think when you're producing the show of, of four-minute, three-minute clips that you can put out online that can get a lot of um, attention, without a doubt. But you also can't you also can't forget. You know, there's so much emphasis on on you know the web numbers and social media numbers. You, you can't forget your your TV audience too. Because I've done stuff that doesn't play huge on the web that I think is fantastic, and then I'll walk around town and hear from a dozen people that day how much they love the bit. So, you know, I think we forget that people are still watching on TV. It seems like the only metrics anybody really cares about are the are the online views. Which, you know, we're not gonna ignore and we're gonna we're gonna work for. But uh, yeah, you got you got to pay attention to both.
1: And the horse. So you announced it riding a horse in the in the WGM studios right wearing a George Washington outfit. Yeah. How did this come about and what was the reaction of the staff who was just busily trying to do their jobs <laughs> as you're doing? They this? loved
3: it, man. People loved that. This is the first <laughs> time we ever had a horse in the newsroom. What do you think? They thought it was awesome. Yeah, I just wanted to do the most ridiculous thing I could think of. And when I said, hey, how about a horse? And my bosses said, yes. I was like, well, we're getting a horse now. I will also let you know we're commissioning a statue made of my likeness. So that's what else you got coming. (laughs) Where's the statue going to go? I just gave you a scoop. Well, that's what we're about to find out. Okay.
1: (laughs) I'm excited, man. I mean, look, the show, I mean, at this point, you know, to wrap things up here, I mean, uh yeah. tell tell everyone wh- when and where they can they can hear it and then just how excited are you? I mean it, it's it's rare. Uh I think as the Simpsons once said, it's 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 the, you know the real joy is the moment of anticipation. So I know it's a frenzied yeah. time getting ready, but it's got to be yeah. an optimistic time as you guys are just flowing, I'm sure with a ton of creative juice and trying to figure out what you want to make.
3: Yeah, I'll be optimistic when the first show airs. Uh up until then, it'll be complete total uh sleep interrupting anxiety for the next, uh, six weeks, but you know, with a couple of fun moments mixed in, um, no, I mean, we're excited. The show is going to be, it's going to be 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock Saturdays on WGN locally, uh, before SNL. So we will be your, your less professionally produced and, and less <laughs> funny warm up show to a real show. Uh, but it, it's going to be fun. I think, uh, if, if we can do what we're setting out to do, we'll make something that's a, uh, you know, a smart, provocative, and 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 fun, uh, fun show that that hopefully can grow into something much bigger.
1: Well, man, I, I nothing but the best to you. I really appreciate you coming on and breaking it all down. I think it's going to be great, and uh, we will we'll make sure our listeners uh, are, are tuning in. All right, man. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. And we are back. In the sports world, athletes, coaches, media, trap artists, they all do interesting things, and then we tell them to stop it and get back to watching film with Kobe Bryant because (laughs) we don't want them to be real people. We just want them to be, air quotes, athlete, air quotes. That is ridiculous. Life is work and the things that distract us from work. So on this show, we celebrate locker room distractions, by telling you what's distracting us every week. Uh, Gareth, why don't you kick us off here, man? What is distracting you? All right, so I used
0: to be a baker. Uh, Before I got into television, I was a baker and pastry chef. Uh, My wife and I still enjoy doing a lot of baking. I've discussed this on occasion. And at the end of the year, I started reading a bunch of people talking about this hot new recipe online, a salted butter chocolate chunk shortbread cookie. And I was like, mm. all right, this seems a little trendy. It popped up on Smitten Kitchen. I saw it. And I was like, all right, all right. I kind of ignored it. And then for some reason in the past week, I saw a couple people in my Twitter feed making it. And so yesterday on, I saw a couple people making it. So on Martin Luther King Day, we had the day off. Uh, My daughter was at camp, and when she came home, I was like, oh, you have to freeze these cookies or kind of firm them up in the fridge. This might be fun. Why don't we just, like, I'll have her, like, help me roll them in sugar and bake them. So I made those to do with her. And those cookies are phenomenal. My God, what a good damn cookie. They're shortbread, so as you age, you know, you kind of acquire that taste for something a little more mundane, a little drier. But the big chunks of chocolate really cut through. They're rolled in turbinado sugar, and then you sprinkle a few flakes of salt on top of each one. And that is a buttery, salty, sweet, chocolatey, damn good cookie. So we'll put up the recipe for that in anyone. If you've got a cold day indoors, make the salted butter... Chocolate Chunk Shortbread Cookies.
1: I mean, I'm trying to lose weight, but thanks for all this. I'm starving. (laughs) Like, I literally like to just... made me angry. All right, Adam, uh, what's distracting you?
2: Well, to Garrett's point earlier about the way we consume content, I will say that there is nothing more seductive than going on Amazon and seeing the books that come up in their feed. And I don't necessarily mean um, fiction, but nonfiction books, whether it's, uh, something, uh, self-help related or, uh, self general self-improvement or business. And I have ordered more books than I can count from Amazon, read a chapter or two of them and put them on the shelf forever because you realize that they're making the same point over and over and over. Uh, but giving you different chapters and breaking it down. But relatively, the initial concepts are presented in the first two or three chapters. So I found an app, and this sounds like a total podcast advertisement, but it's not. Uh, Blinkist is the app, and uh, there is a subscription fee. There's also a free version. But you can go and find these books that you may have seen on Amazon, uh, and Blinkist gives you... Around uh, they call it blinks, but they give you between an eight to ten page summary of the key concepts of the book, and I feel like this is going to save me a lot of time and money. And I feel like I can say that I've read four books already this week, and that makes me feel smart.
1: Like the short chapters in Da Vinci Code, right? <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> I like. That's I good, do man. love that you ended that with and that makes me feel smart I mean because at the end isn't that what all like what
2: this is about that's exactly right
1: mine uh my distraction may not have instill that same feeling but uh but here it goes so I gotta give a shout out to Joe Reed who I think used uh this as a distraction for him like a year ago back when Joe liked us and 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 was part of this um uh also shout out to Joe who was in Hawaii during that missile scare. Uh, I sent him a text, but I didn't hear back yet. But uh, I can only imagine uh, what that must have been like. So, Joe, if you're listening, uh, glad you guys are okay. All right, so a while back, he referenced uh, the animated program Rick and Morty. Um, and I've I've been hearing like a, a rumbling from other people that I like, uh, you know, podcasters, other folks, just about Rick and Morty and how great it is. So I gave it a shot, and... I mean, this is going to sound crazy, especially to you, Gareth. Season three of Rick and Morty might be like one of the best seasons of anything I've ever seen. <laughs> like, wow. really? it was unbelievably good. That's awesome. That is awesome. I, I, look, the show, do, do you guys watch the show or no? Do you have to
0: watch the no. first two seasons to get up to it? Because I've watched episodes and I laughed. Um,. But that's my question. Do you have to watch the first two episodes to get up to – or first two seasons to get to three and love it?
1: No. See, I had started – I'm sure hardcore fans would tell you yes, but I I had seen an episode here or parts there, and I thought it was just kind of like this weirdo show. Uh, you know, this kind of adult swim, like, just weird humor. And then I saw the first... I was on the train coming home from um, an event that Adam and I were at, uh, on you know, this past weekend, and I, and I, I just saw season three up, so I, I watched the first two episodes, and damn, dude, they are unbelievably funny. So if you just start from there, you'll pick it up, and you'll go. And by the... Like, I, I'm not even done with it yet, but, like, there's a whole episode about this alternate planet with only Rick's and only Morty's, like all their copies. And it really feels more like a wire episode. Like it's barely even funny. And then there's an episode (laughs) where he turns himself into a, there's an episode where he turns himself into a pickle, which sounds ridiculous, but it's like better than 90% of the action movies I've seen this year as him just being pickle Rick and figuring out how to get out of it. So what, what seems like they've done is they've made it, super mean-spirited and cynical in season 3. Ooh, and I just yep. think I, I, it's really funny. I don't know. I I would say if you're a fan of like subversive humor, it's also yeah. totally dirty. Like like Whoa. I was watching this supercut of like Rick Rick's best lines and and it, I was it was just kind of like insult insult and then one was just kiss my dick. <laughs> just- <laughs> It's really foul-mouthed and hilarious. Like I highly recommend Rick and Morty, and I, I would say just watch season three, man. See if you like it. <laughs> oh, that's not even my original summer. Oh, my God. He's not bluffing. He's not bluffing. R- Rick. Why not shoot through her? 20 yards. Nine-gauge plasma pistol. My first shot would liquefy her insides and injure you. Second shot adds recoil. The risk to me is minimized if I wait for you to shoot her, which I'm encouraging you to do. What the fuck? or let her go, which I will reward with a quicker death. Because you love her. Because it's incentive for you to give me my cleanest shot, which will be your least painful death. But if you want to die slower than that, I'm super into it. All you got to do to get that started is kill the girl. I hate
2: you. Not an issue,
1: sweetie. That's enough! Drop the gun, Rick! Morty, I know you're too stupid to get this, but you're really f***ing this up right now. I'm not letting you let my sister die! Drop the gun! I wasn't gonna let her die, you f***ing moron! Aww. Ha! The point is, he thought I was going to! I totally did, by the way. You're a f-ing moron, Morty! Morty, you f***ing idiot! You're a serious f***ing idiot, Morty! You basically killed us all! <laughs> you are as dumb as a bag <laughs> of, <back laughs> of an sand! idiot, Morty! You're the
2: dumbest thing I've ever laid eyes on! An idiot, Morty! What, what idiot! a
3: Morty! Who's stupid now, bitch?!
2: Do you, you don't need to start from the season one?
1: I didn't. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, it's an animated show, so I think each, each episode has its own sort of storyline, a story arc to it. I mean, they're all like individual adventures to random places. So I think you're okay just like kind of jumping into the later stuff and just seeing if you like it and then kind of revisiting it. Awesome. Don't kill me, people. I mean, the, the third episode starts, it's a cliffhanger. I mean, the season three, it's a cliffhanger. So, sure, you need like a working knowledge. But, you you know, hey, Rick's telling people to that he's got to go take a shit and he's blowing stuff up. Like, yeah, you, you pick it up pretty quick, man.
2: <laughs> this sounds like my kind of show. When you said mean yes. spirit and cynical, I really perked up.
1: It's really <laughs> good. It's I. I, I I don't know if I should be promoting this, but you can go, if you just Google Rick and Morty episode, uh, episode one, season three, it'll show up on like daily motion or some other sites and, uh, you can just watch the first and they're only 20 minutes each. So it's like a real breezy watch. It's great.
0: Well, that's how my wife and I Thanks, got into buddy. the good place. Cause we realized that the good place was only 20 minutes long. It's like, Oh, we can watch like, we can plow through these easy. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> exactly. All right, that is our show this week. Let's end with some shout-outs. I'm going to give a shout-out to Pat Tomasulo, WGN sportscaster, stand-up comedian, and now late-night comedy host. Go check out Man of the People. Follow him on Twitter. Uh, I think it's debuting this Saturday night, 10 p.m. Central uh, on WGN. And, and check out his Twitter feed for for clips and other highlights. Also going to give a shout-out to Mike Bruce, and Kerry Wood, who had Adam and I at the uh, Woody's warm-up celebrity bartending event last week. We had Kerry on the show a few weeks prior. It was a good, it was a good time. We, we ran into Israel Adanje, who I will also give a shout-out to, former Bears player. We, we saw him in the green room area. We walked up, and he's like, oh, here are two knuckleheads. And I was like, "What's up Israel? Uh you came on Just Not Sports and talked about your comics. Uh when's uh, the next volume coming out?" And, like we just talked about that for like 30 straight minutes. So nice. Yeah, who's uh, Nice guy. We, Adam and I are like fully living the Just Not Sports lifestyle. Like we didn't even mention the Bears to this guy and they just like got a whole new coaching staff. Uh all right, uh Gareth, any shout-outs this week? I I I am saving my shout-out for I got a big one coming. I'm sitting on it okay Okay. You're like Cleveland trading down that first pick Adams. Yes. <laughs> any shout outs
2: well shout out to our good just not sports friend Sarah Spain who was a celebrity bartender at that event and gave Brad and I a very generous pour so thanks very much Sarah it was a fun night and as usual shout out to my boy Uzi, Def Jeff Lil Swanee Meach, Ron Mack, and finally, my other cousin Ron.
1: And in the immortal words of Shaquille O'Neal, booty rappers, stay,
2: stay booty. booty.